0: Well, good morning to each one. I want to greet you in Jesus' precious name this morning. <clears throat> Thank you for your prayers. I appreciate them. And I guess as I was thinking about the message that felt led to share this morning, I feel like I'm standing here with a sense of trembling, and, and I don't think that's all bad. I think it's good. We'd like us to continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And and as I think about the way that Jesus taught his disciples, the multitudes, the way he responded to the people and the lady in today's lesson in our Sunday school, I have so much to learn. And so... As I think about that, and as I was thinking about that throughout this week, as I was meditating and preparing the message, I feel so little standing here trying to expound upon what Jesus already said here, because he did so well. But I think he would have us to look at his message that he shared with the people and that we would have a desire to learn this morning and continue to learn what he shared there, then and what he wants to share with us today. The title of the message is Christ, the Fulfillment of the Law. And we find that in the first verse that we will be reading, not those exact words, but how Jesus fulfilled the law in Matthew five seventeen. And I thought maybe we would get across most of the rest of this chapter. But as I was studying and thinking and preparing, I'm not sure that we will. So for now, I would like to read verses 17 through 20. And then we'll read farther as time permits. Matthew 5, starting at verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me go back up there to verse 17. What law was Jesus referring to and what was its purpose? I don't know what all comes to your mind when you think about the law. You know, obviously we think, maybe my mind goes to the Ten Commandments, but that makes up kind of a a small portion of, of the law. The law was made up of the first five books of the Old Testament. And the prophets made up the rest. And when we think about all the different laws, and all the different ceremonies, and all the different things that the children of Israel needed to practice, and the things that we find in those first five Books of the Bible, there were a lot of things for the people to remember. And it is no wonder that they couldn't do it in and of themselves. And they tried. There was the ceremonial laws, including the clean and unclean. They were only allowed to eat certain things, and they weren't supposed to eat or um, certain things. So there were dietary restrictions. There were the different washings, ritual washings, cleansings. The civil law regulated social behavior and specifying crimes, the punishments for those and so on. It, It told them how to deal with different things. There was the moral and ethical law on how they were to live, how they were to relate to God, how they were to honor God, how they were to respect one another. And there was a lot of rules that they tried to follow that were the scribes put together. So can you imagine trying to remember all these different laws that they had and then trying to keep them in your own strength? It was... Not possible for them to do that. Not in and of themselves. So they would have to go make atonement, offer sacrifices, ask for forgiveness. Wants to continue thinking about some of the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. Why had God given them this law? We talked about that a little bit. The law was put in place to help man to live separately from the world around them. God wanted these people called out. He called out his people and he wanted them to live differently than the rest of the world. And it also reminded them that they couldn't keep the law in and of in their own strength, but that they needed help. They needed a savior. And that's the reason Jesus came. Another purpose of the law is mentioned in Galatians three twenty three to 27, and we'll be looking at quite a few scriptures, so um, I'll try to give a reference, and if um, we might, you might not feel like turning to all of them, of course you're welcome to, but in Galatians three twenty three to 27, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So it had a way of teaching, of showing them what was right and wrong. But after that, faith is come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. For, we, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So in some ways, man was held kind of as a prisoner under the law. There were so many things to remember, so many restrictions, so many uh, things to do, so many things as I said not to do. And then the scribes and Pharisees continued to put more and more rules into place and traditions into place. Which just continued to cause men to think about how they needed to uh, focus more and more on trying to keep the law by their good works, rather than their focus actually being on God and what God was trying to teach them in the law, the real meaning behind what the law was to do. You know, Jesus talks about how they tried to look good on the outside, the scribes and Pharisees and Others, By doing all these good works, but their hearts so often were still unchanged, and they were full of evil. It's kind of sad when we look back and we see how so many of them were diligent in trying to keep the law, the effort that was put forth, and yet... How they missed what God was really wanting them to get. So, how did Christ fulfill the law and the prophets? Jesus gave us a new understanding of the law. And he was teaching right here in this sermon. He taught all his um, for these three years to his taught his disciples, taught the people, the multitudes that he was ministering to. But Jesus gave us a new understanding of the law, not as the scribes had interpreted it, but as God had intended it. And so that's how Jesus came and fulfilled the law, to show us what God had intended. The true essence of the law is not in rules and regulations, but Jesus taught. Us to love. And like I said in, in today's lesson, that's what we see there in the way that he showed love and concern for the lost. In Matthew 22 34 to 40, most of these passages that I'll be reading this morning are, are quite familiar. looking at verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we can see this being a fulfillment, a foundation for the rest of the the law that they were trying to live by. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Is that what we are doing? Are we fully committed to that love, to God? Here we see that love is the fulfilling of the law. Thou shalt love God, and thou shalt love thy neighbor. Not just doing some acts of kindness, but showing true, genuine love. I'm going to look at the different places in the Gospels um, where Jesus kind of answers this same question. So Mark 12, 28 to 31 is a very parallel passage, I believe. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And as I was thinking thinking about this, do we truly grasp what Jesus is saying here? Love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Is there anything left over? You know, to me, it seems like some of these things are all a common, you know, one. What's, what's the difference between our heart and all, our soul and our mind? You know, it makes up our being. We need to be full of love. And then it says, with all thy strength, we need to love our Lord. But yet, even beyond that, the second is like namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor. And so as I was thinking about that, <clears throat> it's easy for, for me to become distracted and, and start having love for other things too. And I think we are obviously supposed to care for our family and, and so on. That's part of this loving our neighbor, loving our family. But are there other things in life that take the place Or that we say we love. Or we show that we love. That we have affection for. That isn't truly what God wants us to be pouring our love into. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart. And with all of our soul. And with all of our mind. And with all of our strength. That takes all of us. I mean, our whole whole being. It's an area that I need to stay focused in. And as brother Joe was sharing, humbling myself before God and keeping him the focus so that I can truly love him and love my neighbor and not be focused on the other material things that are so easy to, that can easily distract me and draw me away from that true love that I need to have for God. Luke 10, 25 <clears throat> to 28. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. So he knew what the answer was. Here according to, to Luke, Jesus didn't actually tell him like he told the others in the other gospels. But this lawyer knew what that commandment was what was written in the law and we can find that in Deuteronomy 6 5 and in Leviticus 19 18 it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself so this person this lawyer he knew what the answer was and Jesus replied in verse 28 and he said unto him thou hast answered right this do and thou shalt live so he knew the answer just like us this morning we know the answer what we are to do but are we doing it and how are we doing it are we loving the lord with all of our heart soul mind strength and our neighbor as much as we love ourselves challenging me john 13:34 to 35 <clears throat> A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Do you think God knew we would struggle with this? Or that I would struggle with this? I can't speak for y'all. To truly love him and to love others? the way God wants me to? Like I said, that lawyer knew the answer. But God said, now go do it. How am I doing? I don't like to think that I struggle with this in this truly loving and caring for others the way Christ would have me to care. I I truly want to do that. And I, I know I should. But am I doing it the way God wants me to? And as often and and as I consider the whole passage in Matthew 5 there that we are looking at. Jesus goes on to explain how some of this should look. And so I'm going to skip ahead just to that one verse. And this is where my mind was was really focusing on. And I was planning to just go right through verse by verse kind of, or you know, section, paragraph by paragraph. But if we look ahead, um, back on in Matthew 5 again, as we think about loving others, putting others first, I'll just start at verse 38, down to 42. Matthew five thirty-eight. 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And so as we think about loving our neighbor, First of all, loving God with our whole being and continuing to to love our neighbor as we should. Will we be able to respond to situations that we face, such as Jesus describes here in these verses? You know, these people were familiar with returning evil for evil. In fact, we don't have to teach anyone to do that. That just comes natural. It's an old nature to return evil for evil. If someone does us wrong. It's easy to do that. Same thing back. But Jesus says, I, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, and whosoever shall smite thee on that right cheek, turn to him the other also. How easy do we find this to do? Comes really hard and it's not possible for us to do it without God's help but with his help we can respond correctly and show that love to whoever mistreats us whoever our neighbor is and if a man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat let him have thy cloak also Often when we think about lawsuits, we think of something more than just someone wanting our coat. Often they go for a lot more than a coat. So how do we respond to a situation if we find ourselves in a situation like that? And hopefully we don't find ourselves in a situation like that too often. But have you ever had anybody ask you for something? Verse 42 speaks on that. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, Turn not thou away. Again, this is something that I know we are to do, and I can think about how how well am I actually doing. And so as I was thinking about this, my mind was going to different scriptures that talk about giving. And what does Jesus really say when I see someone that is asking or pleading for, for help, begging for help? How readily am I to, how eager am I to see what their needs really are and see if I can, can help them in any way? My mind goes to two examples in the Bible that are very familiar. That Jesus, one is that Jesus told us on giving, it's a rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16 19. And we are familiar with that account. Lazarus was a poor beggar, and he was sitting outside the rich man's gate. And, Luke 16, and had many needs. And the rich man had so much. Verse 19, it says that this rich man, which was clothed in purple and in fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. The rich man had an opportunity to show love, to love somebody as much as he was loving himself. And he chose not to do that. We have many opportunities to show love to the world around us. How are we doing? As I was thinking about that, my mind went to one other passage in Acts 3. And it's very familiar, and I hadn't quite thought about it in this way until this past week as I was working and and thinking about this this message and thinking about loving our neighbor again a familiar account peter and john they want to go up to they're going up to the temple to pray and on their way up they met a beggar a lame man and he laid daily verse 2 of chapter 3 and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked him asked an alms he was begging he was needing help and it was obvious that this man did need help he was lame and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said look on us and He, the man, gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. But then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee." So, they could have easily have said, We don't have anything to give you, and just walked right on past, up into the temple to do a good thing, pray to God. But they said, Silver and gold have I none, I don't know how they were expecting to eat that day, the next day, when they would be getting more money. Had they just given the last little bit that they had away? I don't know. We don't know that part of the story. But they said they didn't have any money. But they said, but we do have something that we can give. And God had given them the gift of healing. But well, such as I have, give I thee. The middle of verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of, Lazarus, excuse me, of Nazareth, excuse me, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping. He was a happy man, wasn't he? Praising who? Praising God. God received the honor and the glory for what Peter did, Peter and John did. They gave what God had given them to give. And you know, when people ask us for things, or when we know that someone has a need, what's, what's our excuse? Why, or what's my excuse? I, I, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But how easily do I give? Peter and John said, we don't have any money to give, but what I have, I will give. Do we give what we have? Most of us have have extra things. It might not be extra money per se. It might be something else that we have. Do we give what we have? And that was just really impressed upon my Mind, so I was thinking about loving our neighbor. First of all, loving God, but then loving our neighbor as ourself. I'm going to share just a real little account that's challenged me, and I think has contributed to to this soul searching that I've been doing for myself. And that is, someone contacted me recently saying that he knew of someone that had a need that was in Harrisonburg that needed some, some help, but he couldn't communicate very well because he didn't know Spanish and he was wondering if I could communicate with this person. He was able to use Google Translate a little bit and find out what the person's <coughs> needs were from his understanding. but He thought maybe I could check in and, and see. And so I did. And the story that I received was something similar to, what, to his understanding of what the needs were. So later I contacted this, this brother that said he knew this person had a need. And I asked him, I said, how were you able to contact or find out all this information while sitting at a red light? Oh, no, he didn't have enough time for that. The light turned green too fast before he had much chance to, I don't know if he even communicated with the person at all at that point. But he went and finished his errands. And then he came back and parked and walked up to the person to find out what their needs were. And that challenged me. You know, sometimes we can stop and talk to somebody when we're on a sidewalk or or someone may even come up to us at a store and ask for help. But how much do I really care about those that have a need out there at a stoplight? And I'm not saying that you don't. I know y'all help and care about people in different ways, and we should. But this message that Christ shared, that Jesus shared, and his example that he shared and how he fulfilled the law and the fulfilling of the law is, is showing this love has been a real challenge to me. In John 13 there, 34 and 35, we read those verses. And at the end it says, um, "This they show all men know? they show all neighbors know? that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. I had to think they also quickly know or think something else when they don't see that love and they see division, they see arguing instead of seeing that love that should be there. So what are our neighbors seeing in us? I want us to think a little bit going back to these verses that we had looked at in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, some of the differences that were between the Old and New Testament and the benefits that we have in the New Testament. You no, know, God was with his people in the Old Testament but he didn't dwell within them. So he didn't have the power and the strength. He didn't have the spirit directing them and helping them to obey as we do today. In 2 Corinthians 6:16 talking about the advantages that we have today. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What a contrast and what a benefit we have today. God says, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. And so we have the power through the Holy Spirit to be able to go and show love. First of all, to God, to our brothers and sisters in the church and to our neighbors round about us, whoever they are, wherever they are. He will give us the strength and the power to do that. A few other verses in First Corinthians six nineteen and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God with our body. In our body and in our spirit, because they are God's. So part of this new covenant that Jesus came to declare to us, or to declare was that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And as we think about ways that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, we can look at Ezekiel verse 11. we think about the different prophecies. Ezekiel 11:19 and 20 says, "And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you." And I will take the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give them an heart of flesh, that they may walk in My statutes and keep My ordinances and do them, and they shall be My people, and I will be their God. So this is what, clear back in the Old Testament, was shared. What we would be able to experience in the New Testament. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, within you. <clears throat> can you talk about the law a little bit? When we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that they can be divided into two parts. And I'm sure most all of you know that. The first four commandments speak of our duty to God. And we can read them in in Exodus. The first four speak of our duty to God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So the first four commandments speak of our duty to God. And the last six speak of our relationship to our fellow man, fellow men. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And so in thinking about that, we see that the following verses, here in Matthew 5, speak about some of those last six commandments of our relationship, the relationship that we should have with our fellow men. Jesus is helping his disciples and he helps, is helping us to understand these commandments in a better way. As we will read, Further on, He tells us that it's not just our outward actions that are important, but it also includes what is in our mind and what is in our heart. I want to read verses 21 to 26, Matthew 5: 21 and 26. ye have heard that it was said by them of old, "Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill be, shall be in danger of judgment." But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first excuse me, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So Jesus is here explaining this law that had been given about not killing. But he takes it a step farther. He says, even thinking, angry thoughts are wrong about our brother, about our neighbor. Why do we have these temptations to do that? In Mark 7, 21 through 23 talks about what comes out of a man's heart and how the old nature what it's like Mark seven twenty-one, for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries fornications, murders thefts, covetousness wickedness, deceit lasciviousness and evil eye, blasphemy pride, foolishness All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So that's why we need to have a change of heart. This is what our hearts look like without Christ. This is why we want to be tempted to think wrong thoughts, angry thoughts. Why we have evil desires. Because it's the old man. The old law spoke against these things. But this is what Christ came to deal with. He wants to, to change our hearts, to give us a new heart. He wants us to be born again, as he told Nicodemus, so that we will have the correct responses to, to whatever someone does to us. Ephesians four twenty two to 24 says, That ye put off concerning the former conversation, or the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So it's only with Christ's help that we can have that right heart and mind. Verse 24 says, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So it only becomes through Christ we can have that right living. That we can live in holiness, and it come from our heart. Here in these verses, we are reminded of a need of a savior. Those other verses talk about the evil things that come out of our heart. Back in Mark seven, and in Ephesians four, twenty-two to twenty-four, says to put those things off, put off the old man but that can only come through salvation in Christ. And we are reminded of the need of a savior, the need of him. We need to repent of our sins and of those evil thoughts and desires and our confession of our belief and trust in Christ. And then we can experience this newness of life. That only comes through him. So that we can respond, as Jesus goes on to talk about in these in these different situations. I want to read Galatians five twenty two and twenty six, and just think about the comparison there of the fruit of the Spirit versus what was in our hearts before we accepted Christ as our Savior. New Galatians 5, 22 to 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. What a difference. A total change of heart compared to what was in Mark 7, or you can even look prior in um, some of these verses. Verse 23 continues, Meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. So that's what's going to be coming out of our heart. Once we are saved, once we are allowing God to control our lives, it will be a total different person. And I'm glad that most all of us have experienced that. Romans thirteen eight. O oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So again, we're reminded of the change that the Holy Spirit brings into our hearts. That love that he gives us so that when we are tempted to say the wrong thing, verse uh, 22 here in Matthew 5, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say certain words they're listed here. We don't necessarily use those words. Reka shall be in danger of counsel, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And as I looked at what some of those words meant, Possibly you know already. But reka, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I think that might be close, means vain, empty, worthless. Do we ever consider somebody like that? Somebody just vain and empty? Do we treat them that way? I hope we don't. I don't think we as Christians would. We have, have, we been, have we been tempted? The Jews used this word as a word of contempt, and it was derived from a root word meaning to spit. And if they were caught using it, it was punishable by a heavy fine, is what I found. But why would they even want to use a word like that? Why would you call somebody that? Or the next one there, thou fool, Jesus says, if you use that word, you would be in danger of hellfire. Calling someone a a fool is the same as calling them stupid. We are more familiar with that word. Or as if saying, just be quiet, shut up. Very cruel, very unkind. Quite the opposite of what we were looking at before where Jesus says that we are to you know, the first commandment, showing love to God, showing love to our neighbor. How can we show love to our neighbor and and be able to use words like this? I trust that they won't come out of our mouth. Never do. We're not even tempted to speak that way. It reminds me of back when I was very young. I knew of a handicapped man and he was able to help around on on a farm. He wasn't able to do a whole lot, but he was able to, to work and and help, and sometimes he didn't always do things perfectly, but he was handicapped. He was somewhat disabled. But I remember somebody speaking to him using words like this, and I just that hurt me so. As a young boy, thinking about that type of cruelty, that type of um, of of not I shouldn't say hatred, but disrespect that was shown. And I trust that with God's help, we can guard our tongues and that we can show love in the place of of hatred. Jesus goes on to say there, if you remember that somebody has something against you, If you haven't reconciled something with your brother, and we try to consider this at communion, but I think we need to consider it every day. Do we have things right between us and our brothers? Or are we holding grudges? You know, God wants us to worship him, and it says that if you are going to give a gift, if you're going to worship God, and you remember that there is something That is unsettled between me and a brother, or me and and anyone, me and a neighbor. Am I willing to go and make that right with my brother before I offer this gift, before I offer a gift of worship to God? Excuse me. even though God desires to be and expects to be worshiped our responsibility is to keep proper communication to show love between our brothers and to make sure that takes remains open and that those things are clear between us before we think we can worship God God expects us to live peaceable and holy lives. I think we will just stop with this point for now, but I've just been really challenged as I thought about how am I showing love to the world around me? And I trust that each of us can be challenged in showing love from the heart, that our whole mind, soul, heart, and all our strength is showing love to God, but then also showing love to our fellow man. And that will help us if we have a changed heart and God dwelling in there, we will be able to do that and then respond to people that wrong us in the right way and with the right heart and with a heart of compassion. Let's stand for